The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, my name is Bethany. My husband is Tobin. We had been married for about eight months and had decided we wanted to start growing a family. My wife and I had found out we were pregnant. It was exciting and terrifying at the same time. We had gone to the doctor and I have some health issues, so they told us that we should go see a maternal fetal specialist at 12 weeks. We went to the appointment and we were so excited we were going to get to have an ultrasound done to see our baby. The tech was doing the ultrasound and after a while she got kind of quiet and she said she was going to go talk to the doctor and see if they needed any more pictures. Then she comes back with the doctor and then we get told but then our baby wasn't wasn't gonna survive. You know, being a protector, it's like I can't I can't do anything for him. How do you hope for a miracle and pray for a miracle and yet plan your son's funeral? It was a very difficult difficult time. At 33 weeks, um, my water broke and I had to have an emergency C-section. Regan was born then on October 15th, 2015. He was three pounds, 13 ounces, and 15 inches long. I got to hold him and Regan was there. Then he had like two little hiccups and then just gone. The hardest part of all of it was when we had to hand him over to our nurse for the very last time. I've never felt so empty and so alone as I had felt after we lost our son. It was, that was the worst day of my life. What, what darkness is surrounding you right now? Maybe you haven't walked through the specific story of Bethany and Tobin's pain, but you can certainly relate to it. What darkness has surrounded your life? Maybe, it, maybe you're in a dark moment or a dark place or your emotions have gone very dark or your thinking is dark or maybe it is the darkness of death that is overshadowing what otherwise should be a very bright way of living. But every one of us have at least pages, if not entire chapters of the story of our life that are darkened by the shadow of death. And I wish it wasn't so. I have spoken at funerals and I have said, we're here and this feels like a nightmare that we're all waiting to wake up from. And if we were honest, we've all walked through moments in our life that felt like a nightmare that we were just waiting to wake up from. And in those nightmare moments, in those nightmare places, there's this heaviness, there's this shadow, there's this darkness that kind of just overshadows uh, anything that should be fun. And it can, it can darken the brightest moments. It can, it can draw pain out of what should otherwise be a happy season. And everyone else around you is celebrating or laughing and you feel dark inside. And what do you do when you're in those dark places? And you look around and you think, where is God? 
God, if you're there at all, what are you doing? Where are you? Have, have you abandoned me? Are you nearby? And I think our thoughts begin to run. We, we ask questions like, why is this happening? God, where are you? It's confusing. It's painful. And I'm not going to come and just pretend that I have really great answers for you. What I can offer is a little bit of historical context. I want to bring you back 3,000 years to a man that knew something about darkness and death, and he wrote it better than I ever could explain it. And so I just want to bring you to some poems written by King David, who was uh, the king of the nation of Israel. He ruled about 3,000 years ago. He went from being a shepherd to a great warrior to the king of the nation of Israel. And so he wrote this in Psalm 18. And I just feel like he put words to something that for me, I haven't been able to describe so well. He said, the cords of the grave coiled around me. So obviously he's not talking about himself. He's saying that I have experienced great pain. I've walked through seasons when the death of others felt like it was circling and it was wrapping around me. That the fear of others hunting me and haunting me made me fear the finality of death in my own life. And so he writes, the cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares, the trap of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord and I cried to my God for help. And I, I appreciate this, these verses because I, I feel like he captures something that goes beyond the moment. Follow me, right? You have the moment where you get the terrible news. You have moments that feel like nightmares when you go to a funeral and, and, and yet in that, in that, in those, on those days, it can feel surreal. Your emotions almost shut down and you just kind of sit there going like, this isn't really happening. Like tomorrow we're gonna get up and my loved one and I are gonna have breakfast together. But then you wake up the next day and this is where, it's, where the story starts to shift, right? Because you go from the shock and the awe of the reality of the darkness or the reality of the death when you get up the next day, you kind of go through what David explained, right? You go through this distress season where you begin to cry out to God and you're like, God, what's going on? And, and those are the seasons where you feel confused, you feel angry, you feel alone, you feel lost because it's the day after and the days after and maybe even for you, it's been years after and other people think that you should be over it. You should be past it. And you're, and you're starting to think to yourself, yeah, what is wrong with me? Why is it four years later and I still wake up most days with tear-soaked pillow? And, and David understood that because David was in distress and in his distress, he cries out to the Lord. He says, God, what's going on? And in another dark place, not just surrounded by the threat of death, but surrounded by enemies, hunting him, haunting him. David retreats up the mountains and he's hiding for his life. He's got friends with him. He's got family members with him. I mean, think about it, right? An enemy hunting not only you, but hunting your entire family, hunting your friends, hunting down your nation. And David retreats up the mountain and he's hiding in the cave of Adullam where he can look down over his home village, Bethlehem, where we believe that from that cave, he wrote the most famous poem ever written. 
became known as Psalm 23. And I'm just gonna jump in and read this verse to you. He writes it this way, yay, though I, not a yay celebration. Yea, as in even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because in order to get up to the cave, he had to lead his, his army, he had to lead his family, he had to lead his friends, friends through, the, through the valleys where he had no idea what was around the next corner. And he says, so even when I was going through the valley of the shadow of death, and another translation, it says, even though I was walking through the valley of darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And this guy knew something about death and he knew something about dark seasons in life. And yet he's able to write, in all of this, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And I just feel like David somehow captured something that makes sense even 3,000 years later because he drew a principle out of life. He, he drew from a, the principle of our experience and it makes sense today. And so that's what I wanna give you. If you're in that place where you're going through a dark moment or you're going through a dark season or your emotions or your thinking are incredibly dark, or maybe you feel the shadow of death looming over you. I want you to know first that you are not alone. Second, that guys like David and others, even us here today, we get it. But there's a principle beyond us just validating your fears or just um, affirming that feeling. David had an answer and here is his answer. It's that we can experience the promise of resurrection life. And even saying that, I, I fear, my fear when I wrote this was that it sounds like a fairy tale. I, I was writing this and I thought, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like I'm going, you can, you can discover the fountain of life. We, we found it. You know, like it's hidden in a jungle somewhere in Brazil and I'm gonna lead you all to it. And you're all gonna be like, this guy's crazy. He's got the pink, he's got the Kool-Aid. This, this is a cult, this is crazy. I kind of felt that as I was writing this out, like, like, like we're being like ridiculous. Like I'm selling you a bill of goods. Cause it's something we all want, right? We all want like the fountain of youth. We all wanna be able to live our lives without the fear of death. And of course, man, it'd be amazing to have this promise of eternal life, of forever life in paradise. And it feels like a fairy tale because it feels absurd. It feels impossible. And I wanna be honest for a moment, it is. I'm not faking you. I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods. It is impossible. The reason it feels impossible is because it is. Why is it impossible? Because you and I carry around with us this dark curse called death. Oh, and by the way, I want to be really honest, it's worse than that. You and I were born with a curse called sin. It's a spiritual curse. It's like a seed was planted into you from the moment you were conceived and it set us up for death and ruin forever. This thing called sin, it's a spiritual seed planted inside of every one of us that from before we were ever even born, we were destined to die. We were destined to die because we were, we would disregard God. Sin compels us to push ourselves away from God toward doing what we want. And when we do what we want, sin, we go down a life of ruin headed toward death and eternal judgment. 
So we have this spiritual seed of death living inside of us called sin, and it's cursed every aspect of our life. And so when you and I think to ourselves, that idea of forever life sounds like a fairy tale. Well, it kind of is for all of us because it's impossible on our own. And so let me shift gears for a moment. Maybe you've watched someone suffer a loved one. Maybe you've seen someone you deeply love walk through a very dark season. And if you're anything like me, you've probably wanted to reach into their life and lift it off of them, right? Maybe at each of our campuses right now, you're feeling that and you're like, I, I have. I've wanted to reach into the heart of my spouse and just lift that darkness out of them. Maybe, maybe you know someone who's walked through really deep depression and it's like you wish you could just reach in to their emotions. You just pull out the darkness and put it on yourself. Or maybe, maybe you watch someone, maybe you, you watched a child you love die and, and you were like, I want to take their place. I wish it was me instead. Interestingly, that's exactly how King David felt. Um, he, he lost a few of his children, and one of them was his son who went to battle against him. Absalom actually led an army to overthrow his father's kingdom. And they're in war, and David gets news that his son Absalom had been killed in battle. I, this is unimaginable. And here's how it says David responded in 2 Samuel chapter 18. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he, as he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And I, I get it. Having held uh, my children when they were incredibly sick or having watched them go through a surgery or something where, you know, you just feel scared. And I, I thought, like, I, I, could, I just, I'm stronger than they are. Like, I'll put myself in their place and I'll take the pain. I'll take the suffering. I'll take the darkness. I would even take the death. And yet we're not afforded that privilege, are we? No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. It only worked like that one time. When God himself saw the curse of sin that seed of sin planted into every one of our hearts that was our destiny, death and eternal judgment. Only one time was it ever afforded anyone and it was God himself who said, I'll take it on myself. When David is crying out, oh, my son Absalom, if, if only I had died in your place, he couldn't, you and I couldn't, but God did. He entered into our world. He walked through the valley of the shadow of darkness and death alone. And in the darkness and in the midst of death, it was as if all of death's arrows were fired against God himself as he hung on the cross. He absorbed every fiery arrow of darkness and death and sickness and sin and eternal judgment until every arrow had been fired and unleashed. There were no arrows left. When, when death reached back to grab another arrow, there was nothing to draw from. Jesus had absorbed all. In fact, he cries out on the cross, it is finished. Meaning death has no more arrows. Sin has no more punishment. Eternal judgment has nothing else to throw against you. And he died in our place. So that when sin tried to pull back and fire its arrows at you, there was nothing to unleash against you. Here, here's how the apostle Paul wrote it in his letter to the church in Rome. He writes it this way, but God put his love on the line 
for us. He goes, here it is. Only God could do this. God put his love on the line by offering his son in sacrificial death, death while we were of no use whatever to him. I mean, when we had no value, when, when like Absalom, we were fighting against our father God. Here, here Absalom is trying to overthrow the kingdom, fighting against his father, and David weeps at his death. You know what God does? Instead of weeping at our death, God intervenes in it, and he goes to battle for us, and he dies in our place. When we had no value to him, when we were enemies of God, he died in our place so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life. How are we given new life? Because Jesus not only entered into the valley of darkness and the shadow of death, but he went through it. He came out on the other side. How did he come out on the other side? Because after he absorbed all of the arrows of death and sin and eternal judgment, then he laid in the tomb, he absorbed the full weight of it, he suffered on our behalf. He died. And then in the greatest miracle ever experienced in all of history, all of eternity, Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over sin, victorious over the grave, and victorious over eternal judgment. So that our confidence is that life doesn't end in death, but death becomes a birthing into eternal life. So now we no longer live in the fear of death. It's as if we've entered into a fairy tale story that is for real. A true story of a God who loved us so much that he was willing to pay any price and he paid the price to give his life to rescue our lives from eternal judgment. And when you know that, it changes everything about the way you see dark moments and dark places and dark seasons, even the darkness of death gets reframed by the promise that life doesn't end in death, but death ends in life. It certainly changed everything for Bethany and Tobin. L listen to a little bit more of their story. So I got back to work. I didn't know what I'd get back home to. I didn't know what kind of a mess was going to be there. I didn't know if she was going to be there. I struggled really bad with depression and anxiety, panic attacks, really bad suicidal thoughts. That was constant. I guess it was two months almost after we lost our son. We started going to a pregnancy and infant loss support group. And we started learning about grief and how it looks for men and for women. Hearing other people's stories of their experiences. It's nice to know that you're not alone. Nine months after we lost Reagan, uh, we found out that we were pregnant again. It was terrifying. I was like, I can't, I can't do this again. I can't go through another loss. We made it through the the pregnancy, the delivery was definitely so different because um, there was no doubt that Phoenix was alive when he was brought out. At that time, him crying was the best sound in the world. <laughs> After what we'd experienced the first time of hearing silence, definitely a bundle of joy and a big blessing to have him here. When you have another child after loss, um, your rainbow child, you always have the dance of joy and grief together. I don't know if his plan was for Reagan to die, but I know that God takes our circumstances and our situations and he works through all of these. We definitely saw God through everything. My wife and I were definitely stronger 
now than what we were. We still have a Reagan-shaped hole. Having God there with us, they kept everything, everything going, everything together. By having Reagan, God revealed to us what our purpose is in the church and in life. And I just feel so blessed and so honored that God chose us to carry on his life and his legacy and to try to help other parents that are hurting and that have lost a child, to try to help them find hope and healing because there is hope after child loss. I feel like because Reagan was born, people are finding hope and they're sharing hope with other people. And I just see like so much of a ripple effect that there will be hope shared with people for generations to come just because of my son. Part of one of the things I, I hope you take from even just hearing their story is a validation that maybe what you're feeling is for real. That, you know, the darkness or the pain that you're walking through, you're allowed to feel. Don't let anyone convince you that the darkness you're experiencing is, is not real or right. We're, we're allowed to suffer. We're allowed to grieve. Um, we're, we're allowed to be broken and hurting because this thing called sin really does corrupt the world we live in. We live in an incredibly broken world. And whether it's a miscarriage or maybe you're abortion wounded, you, you made the decision, but now you look back on that very dark chapter and you're carrying deep grief, or maybe you gave birth to a stillborn child or you lost a child young, or maybe with somebody that, a family member that was older that died of cancer or another disease and you still carry the grief with you, or maybe it's a completely different dark season that I can't put word to. Let me just first say you're allowed to feel that way. But in the midst of those feelings and the darkness and the shadow that may loom over you, I want you to know that you can take something from the promise that David wrote in Psalm 23 when he wrote, so let's just read it again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And again, he also, like, another way to translate me, yea, though I walk through the valley of darkness. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So, so how, how can I make this practical? Meaning, I don't want to just give you pithy statements and, you know, nice Christian ideas. I want to give you something that is substantive that you're going to be able to carry with you in the darkness. What is the one thing David held on to? It was this, that I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The resurrection life means God is always with us. What do, I, what do I mean? Well, here, here is where David's going with this, right? Remember, David, not remember, if you don't know this, I'm a, it's okay, I'm gonna give you permission. David wrote this a thousand years before Jesus, but he was in Psalm 23 writing a psalm looking ahead to the promise of the chosen one God who would come to earth and rescue mankind from sin, death, and eternal judgment. And so that's why, even though David was hunted and felt the cords of death, 
death surrounding him, even though he was in seasons where he was distressful because of the, the failures and the pain of the past, he was able to look up to heaven and go, God, I know that even though I'm walking through this valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil because you are with us. You are with me. How, how could he say that? Well, it's because he had hope of the promise of the resurrection that was going to come a thousand years later. And I can only imagine as David is hiding in a cave at the top of a mountain, he's looking out and he remembers his childhood as a shepherd. And he would lead the sheep through valleys where wolves would hunt, where bears would attack, where lions prowled. And he, and you know, again, putting this in context, because you know, you and I don't, don't have lifestyle shepherds. And so there are vulnerable places where the sheep are more at risk in the valley than they are in higher places where the shepherd can protect them better. And so here's what David does. He remembers that when he led them through places of great danger and where death was a shadow over them, he led them in the front. He went before them and he faced the enemy on their behalf, right? So if David's got his sheep behind him, he's leading them and he's looking for lions. I was gonna say tigers and bears, oh my, but he was sincerely looking for threats against his sheep and he would kill them, he would fight them and, he, and David's going, I know that's what my God is doing for me. I might feel overshadowed by death. I might feel like the darkness is suffocating me, but I know that God who is my shepherd is leading me and he is in front of me. He has not abandoned me. He has not left me alone. He is not yelling to me from the other side of the canyon and calling me to come. He's actually leading my every step. I, was, I led my sheep, and now today I am one of the sheep that God who is my shepherd, is leading. I feel afraid, I feel overwhelmed, but I have this promise that God is not calling to me, God is not telling me where to go, God is leading me through the valley of the shadow of death, and I have confidence that he is leading me through because Jesus entered it for me, he went through it alone, he died in my place, he absorbed the penalty of death and eternal judgment, so now when I'm walking through it. I know that I don't walk through it alone because of my faith in Jesus Christ. You are not alone in the valley of the shadow of darkness and death. There is a promise that God is with you. God is with us. And so how do you get through it? The confidence that you know that Jesus faced our death, Jesus faced our eternal judgment, that he has paid the penalty for us, and now he is with us. So regardless of how close evil feels, God's presence is closer. Regardless of how dark the danger is shadowing over you, God's presence is brighter. His love is greater than the evil that looms over your life. He is in us and he is with us. That's what I love about this passage is it gives us this picture of the enemies surrounding us, darkness around us, shadows, meaning the threat of danger and the threat of death kind of cast over our life. And yet here is my shepherd right in front of me. And here is God's spirit in me. Right, Because when I believe in Jesus by faith, I, only, I not only believe that he died, but that he rose again and his spirit enters into my spirit. And because his spirit is in my spirit, he is not only with me, 
but he is in me. Now, when I think about the idea of danger, I know that God is with me and in me. When I think about death, I know that death doesn't get the last word because even in death, it's a birth to new and forever life. And that reality should change everything about the way I approach life and death itself. In fact, let's jump back into this verse. David writes it this way. He goes, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So I talked about the you are with me part. So let's talk about this fear no evil. Resurrection life means we never have to fear evil. How could I possibly say that? Well, here's why. Because I know that the arrows of death have been unleashed on Jesus. Because the arrows of sin were fully shot into Jesus. Because all of the arrows of eternal judgment were fired against Jesus. And because he absorbed them, he died. But he not only died, he rose again from the dead. Now, because of his resurrection, I have the promise of new life through faith in him. Hold up, time out. I have to say this. Don't miss this. I don't think that you and I actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Because even those of us who do believe it, we don't live like it. Follow me. The most powerful thing about what we believe as Christians is not that Jesus died on the cross. I am not saying we shouldn't talk about the cross, but I think that sometimes we can get so caught up in the crucifixion of Jesus that we miss that the cross is not the great symbol of Christianity. I know you've seen that for, for hundreds of years. You've seen churches with cr crosses on them and people make a big deal about wearing crosses and displaying crosses. Do you know, I, I, can I encourage you? I'm not telling you you should get rid of your jewelry, but our big statement, the big thing that we believe as Christians is not that Jesus died on a cross. It's that he didn't stay dead. The greatest miracle, the great message of Christianity is that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that's true, if Jesus died on a cross and then rose from the dead, then the empty tomb should actually be our symbol. Like we should have on top of churches, giant empty tombs. We should display on the background, big empty tombs. We should wear empty tombs on our jewelry and we should make a big deal about the empty tomb. Why? Yeah, here's the deal. If Jesus' tomb is really empty, then we have nothing to fear. Why? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then Jesus is who he said he is. He is God, which means if I believe in him, then I have new life, eternal life, forever life living in me. And if I have eternal life living inside of me, then I don't only have to not worry about death. That changes how I live today. You and I need to begin to live our lives in light of an empty tomb. It's, it's resurrection life. And again, I'm giving space because I realize that some of you, you might not be there yet. But when you get there and you get to the place where you're willing to acknowledge that Jesus not only died, but that he rose again from the dead, victorious over death, sin, and eternal judgment. If and when you come to that place where you believe that, it should change every aspect of your life and you should walk around with a little bit of a jump in your step. I'm not saying you should jump around at funerals. I'm not saying that you're never gonna worry. I'm not saying you're never gonna grieve. I'm not saying you're never gonna feel broken. Oh, you and I grieve. We have tear-soaked pillows. Oh, we go to the funeral and our hearts are broken. We, we embrace people who are walking through tragedy and pain and darkness and suffering, but we do not grieve as those without hope. 
Why? Because we don't have to fear evil. Death doesn't have any more arrows. So even if death takes our life, we live again. Here's the deal. Jesus wasn't promising that because he is in us and with us, we won't suffer. He wasn't promising that you won't die. He just said you won't die forever. So death gives way to new and forever life. Now, if that is true, then that changes how we live. We don't fear evil, which if I don't fear evil, then how do I live? Well, Jesus said it this way, and it's captured by the author John who says this, meaning Jesus said this, the thief, the enemy of your life, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life. He's talking about they, the sheep that are part of his flock. That's you and me that they may have life and have it to the full. The word here is zoe, it's in the Greek, and it means abundant life or overflowing life. I am the good shepherd. He said, because I am the good shepherd, because I am the shepherd of your soul, because I, as the good shepherd, lay down my life for you, but then I resurrected, I mean, I rose from the dead. Anyone who believes in me becomes a sheep in my flock, and now you, who are a sheep in my flock, have abundant life. You have overflowing life. You have so much life in you that even death can't stop you. When death gets to you and death comes to your door and death takes your life, God's life just spills over and now you have forever life. Okay, so if I know that, then I live differently. I live as a foreigner in a foreign land because that means I'm not home yet. I'm not yet where I belong. That means I'm just passing through, which means I live my life, this abundant life, not to get, but to give, not to hoard, but to help, not to, not to have others serve me, but to serve and give my life away because I'm not trying to get all of life I can. I've already got all of life I need. I, man, I hope you get this. I hope this overwhelms you and fills you to overflowing so that you, you begin to come alive in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because you have the promise that God is with you and in you. There's nothing that death or sin or eternal judgment can ever do to you because it did all it could to Jesus and he won. So right now, whether your step is to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe you're at that place where you're saying, I, I believe this. It, it used to sound like a fairy tale to me, but today I truly believe this. If that's where you're at, then, then your step is to simply make a commitment to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died, that he rose again, and that his spirit can live in your spirit. If you believe that Jesus died and he rose again, then maybe you and I should start to live like it. Truly live like it. Live like you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Live in such a way that even though you walk through darkness, even though you walk through the shadow of death, that you don't have to fear evil because you know God is with you and in you and he gives you victory through Jesus. So I want you to just take a moment right now Maybe it's one of those two commitments you need to make. A commitment to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you believe in Jesus, but today it's a commitment to actually fully believe in the resurrection with the confidence that God is with you. Therefore, you fear no evil. Would you take a moment right now and just pause and just pray? Each of our campuses, would you just pause? Would you pray right now?
Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.